is The Talking Dead, a podcast dedicated to the AMC TV show, The Walking Dead. Hi, my name is Jason. And my name is Chris. And this is The Talking Dead, episode number 549, recorded Saturday, September 25th, 2021. It is indeed a rare Saturday recording this week. Uh, there is a very good reason for that, which some of you you may already know. And uh, that's that's because you had a little accident accident jason but we're going to talk about it more after the podcast yeah i uh, was taking out the garbage i took a header into the into my retaining wall ended up going to the hospital for a whole bunch of staples because they use staples because you know why not uh so yeah recording on thursday night was not a thing and then last night was also not a thing so tonight is a thing all right well tonight's a thing so we'll talk about that a little bit more we have two reasons to do an after hours segment on this podcast so it's been a little while since we've done that and i'm looking forward to both of them uh so let's let's you know we'll get to that later what we are here to do of course on this episode is our season 11 episode 5 listener feedback for the walking yeah. dead awesome and as always, though, I do want to start really quick by just pointing out the viewership numbers for the episode Out of the Ashes. It was 1.91 million, so up a tiny little bit. Tiny, teeny, tiny bit. Tiny bit, yep. So that's, you know, a good sign, but pretty much holding steady. Mm-hmm. All right. In that case, without further ado, let's get into the listener feedback. Listener feedback. And we are going to start with a call from Owen. So, Owen, kick us off. Afternoon, Chris and Jason. There's Owen from Leeds, England here. Calling from a sunny, balmy, lovely 21 degrees Celsius Leeds. It is a lovely day. And I've just watched a very good episode, I thought. Season 5, episode 5. I just thought it was... I, I enjoyed it. It was fun, you know, ups downs oh happy not so happy for some but um i thought it was just one of those really good classic episodes where i just enjoyed it i just watched it with a smile on my face and i'm about to watch it for a second time now um i think everything that's happening in the commonwealth is very interesting it's about time we saw more of it and i feel like it's living up to the expectations um I I don't trust Yumiko 100%. I don't know why. I don't know why. But I just think her brother is going to weasel his way into her mind and something will come from it. And I don't know what. But there you go. That's, that's, my, that's my hot take. Hope you're, hope you're well. Hope you're all keeping safe. And uh, thank you for all you do. Goodbye. All right. Thank you very much, Owen. So I wanted to play that because the idea that Yumiko, I mean, can't be trusted, as Owen said, maybe that's not the best way to put it, but uh, that something's going to go wrong there in her right. relationship with her brother or or approach to the Commonwealth or something like that. I just find that as, as an interesting idea because, you know, when Owen mentioned that, I did start thinking, well, you know, she's been since they've been uh, allowed into the Commonwealth anyways, she's kind of been separated from the other three. The other three are having their own problems, of course, but they were together, whereas Yumiko is off on her own meeting her brother. So 
uh, should she could get into her own sort of set of troublesome circumstances for all we know. But it's just an interesting thought, I, I thought. It is, Owen. That's a really good point uh, that uh, why introduce this close relationship to, uh, to one of our intrepid heroes if it's not going to cause additional drama and strife? Well, yeah. Right? Y- so, you need drama and strife. There's something, something's going to happen there. For sure. And it probably has also something to do with the surgeon versus baker uh, situation as well, because it got brought up specifically, don't ruin this for me. Yeah, that's right. I mean, if Yumiko does get into something, it might not have anything to do really with Eugene and Ezekiel and, and Princess, but more with her relationship with her brother and what he's trying to hide, right? So mm-hmm. maybe maybe she's just going to screw things up for him, uh, which I, he clearly seems to already be worried about, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, she yeah, like I said, she must be a troublemaker. If uh, the first thing he <laughs> yeah. says to her is like, it says, wonderful to see you. I didn't know you were still alive. Don't fuck this up. <laughs> Don't fuck this up for me. I got a good <laughs> thing going here. I get yeah. to eat all the cakes I want. <laughs> yeah. As long as I can make them. Uh, the other thing, though, I mean, her Yumiko was the whole reason that they stayed, right? Remember back in the first episode, whatever it was, uh, they almost escaped and they almost just walked out the back door, but she saw her brother on that board and that's why they stayed. So, yeah, you know, her Yumiko's the whole reason they're still there, really. So that's true. If anyone's going to screw something up, it's probably her. Although the others have uh, gotten, like I said, gotten into their own set of trouble. As is. Yeah, they have their own unique personalities that could very well fuck things up as well. <laughs> very much so, yeah, for sure. But thank you, Owen, for that thought. It was a good one. They're very good. All right, next we have an email from Eric in Lower Alabama. I shared all the same thoughts you had on the recap show about those teenage kids, but I wanted to bring up one more point. Those kids were older than Judith, but still would have lived the majority of their life post-apocalypse. And even assuming that they lived most of the time sheltered in Alexandria, their town had just taken a big attack and not for the first time either. They had to have lost people close to them at this point, uh, at points in the past, and probably a few recently. So it seemed a little unbelievable that they would tease or joke about things like that. I know kids can be cruel, but it seems uh, like in this world, that would be off the table. I mean, I really totally agree with that, except you know, kids can be cruel. This is just kids being stupid. And I guess kids can be stupid too, right? That's that's definitely a thing. Well, kids being stupid is one thing, but they really wanted to paint them as cruel because the, the zombie they were teasing was a kid, right? So no, it true. was very kind of really transparent that they wanted to show that these were bullies of other kids. Yeah, I guess you're right. I mean, I, I'm sort of of two minds about this because... These, these teenage kids were just being jackasses and being stupid and cruel. And part of me thinks, why would that ever be happening in the zombie apocalypse? You know these things. One little chomp of a zombie and you are toast, pretty much. So why take that risk? But, you know, you could say that about teenagers in real life these days. They do crazy things all the time that I that they know are dangerous and... Um, that doesn't seem to stop them. So wood zombies, yeah. I don't know. Remember what happened last time at the prison when we had a couple of kids, uh, teasing the zombies, uh, outside the, outside the fence. That was the two girls that, uh, that Carol ended up 
murdering. Or one of them, he, she murdered. Right. You know, murdered, murdered the other one. But yeah. they, they ended up dead. So be warned. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, the other thing is, I, I maybe these teenagers will end up dead. But part of me was also just like, oh, I don't want to see more teenagers, like random kids that we've never seen before. It just feels a little, uh, feels a little weird on the show at this point. So I wasn't bought into them being there at all. On top of you know them being morons. Yeah. Anyhow, um, next up, there is an email from Jen in California. And Jen says, is it just me or is anyone else not interested in the kids and their squabbles? No, Jen, it's not just you. (laughs) One of the reasons uh, why I didn't want to watch World Beyond was because of the youth of the characters. While I love Judith and her interaction with the adults, I can't stand her scenes with the other kids. It's easily the most cringe part of these episodes for me. Absolutely. Uh, you know, Judas uh, talking to other kids, really, really cringe-inducing. Judas talking to other adults, fan-fucking-tastic. It's, it's really quite the contrast, actually, how great I think she is with the adult actors and how terrible she is with the kid actors. And maybe it's not her, maybe it's the other kid actors, right? <laughs> maybe. I mean, I spend my entire life around people that make me worse as a person. <laughs> That's not true, actually. Most of the people I'm around make me better or at least want to be better good good well that's that's important <laughs> you don't want to hang out with people that just make you an awful human being <laughs> yeah i remember when i first started in the band uh the first band i was ever in my parents sat me down and said uh, do you really want to play with those guys they're not very good <laughs> <laughs> but but you honey you're great <laughs> yeah you're a fantastic drummer but uh, and she was not wrong like oh. she was absolutely not wrong uh, that I had spent a lot more time honing my craft and actually learning from skilled teachers uh-huh. than they had ever done. Uh, you know, I, the first time Scott ever uh, tried to play guitar, he asked me personally, do you put your fingers on the little metal bars or between them? And I said, <laughs> between them. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Yet he ended up being a decent guitar player. He's a really good guitar player, a fantastic musician, and a wonderful songwriter. Uh, it was a pleasure to play with for many, many years, but, uh, we all start off green, right? Of course. But, uh, you know, other people can make us worse. Yeah. And some, and I like to think that I personally made them better. I think, I think that's probably accurate. And, it's and prob- m- really maybe, true, well, who knows, maybe Kaylee Fleming will make these other actors better as the show goes on, or we'll just never see them again. I hope that they, uh, they go into the, uh, into the void without fanfare. Yeah. Uh, and we never see them again. I would be okay with that. I got to admit. It's not going to happen, but that'd be the dream. We can hope. All right. Next, we have an email from uh, Nathan in Sydney, Australia. Nathan writes, wow, as, as others have mentioned, I'm deeply impressed by, with, uh, sorry, by Kaylee Fleming's acting as Judith. The scene with Judith and Rosita was really touching, especially the gentle piano soundtrack that accompanied it. It was actually very similar to the soundtrack in season 10, episode 17, during the scene with Maggie and Daryl talking in the container. And honestly, those beautiful scenes of two characters connecting in The Walking Dead are often my favorites in the show. Yeah, I think that's a really good point, Nathan. I mean, there's it, it can be few and far between when we get really sort of touching emotional scenes between characters like this. There are definitely... I mean, maybe emotional is the wrong word because there's definitely a lot of emotion on this show and there certainly has been over the 11 seasons, but the little quieter moments between people like this, like that Maggie and Daryl scene or uh, Judith and, and Rosita here, you know, these are 
sometimes uh, sometimes the best ones and and maybe they stand out because they are interspersed with all kinds of zombie horror and right. and so then they they jump out at you but um, it's a good example this one with Judith and Rosita I think yeah it's like my uh, my first racist uh, drum teacher always said if you accent everything you accent nothing <laughs> it's the ebb and the flow it's the it's the highlights of the violence and the and the the, the taking a step back and having heartfelt conversations it's it's the whole intermixture of the of the different things the whole big picture yeah very cool all right thanks nathan next is a call from designer will hey chris and jason designer will with some feedback on the episode called out of the ashes so i'm happy to report that i really enjoyed this episode uh, maybe it's got something to do with seeing some of my favorite characters or just the excitement of new environments like the commonwealth However, I also really enjoyed the scenes in Alexandria with Judith and Rosita. Um, I'm also a fan of horror films and, and things like that, but having some contrast, I think, helps me enjoy this series as a whole a little bit more. Episodes that take place in well-lit environments and show some more low-key moments of passive threats, kind of like finding food and rebuilding Alexandria, or some here, uh, humor here and there, I think that does a good job balancing out the darker episodes like the first few we saw in the beginning of this season. Now on another note, I was listening to an old episode of your podcast, episode 138, recapping the mid-season finale of season four. And at the end of that episode, Rick and Carl find an empty baby carrier that Judith was in and it was covered in blood. Now, after you guys debated whether she's alive or not, Chris shares this little prophetic statement, which I thought was funny. So I'm with you. I don't think we're going to see Judith again. I think we're just going to have to assume something bad happened and uh, she's no more. Going to be off the show. That's it. Yeah, unless we flash forward and Judith is like 18 and <laughs> searching for her father kind of thing. That would be crazy. Um, but I think you're right. They were just being gentle with us, gentle with the audience a little bit. Um, Judith, I will be surprised, very surprised if Judith comes back in any way. Anyway, just a little nugget that I thought I'd share. Till next time. Thanks, designer Will. Jason, what do you think of that? <laughs> uh, evidence defeats doubt. Uh, yeah, we we have uh, we have proof proof positive that you're not always right, Chris. I I guess so. I was I was saying that Judith would be off the show and would never come back. And probably in my mind, I was thinking, well, baby, you know, hard to do a baby. They're gonna they're gonna are they really gonna travel around with a baby all the time. No, probably not. So they just got rid of her. Um, clearly that was wrong, but I do think when I said, maybe we'll jump forward in time and Judith will be searching yep. for her father. I mean, that sounds like a thing. That sounds like a thing at all. So we have proof positive that you are uh, always right. See, <laughs> <laughs> it's one or the other or both or neither. I don't know. Uh, you throw enough darts at a dartboard, every once in a while you're going to get a bullseye. Oh, it's a very good point, and you're right. <laughs> Anyways, thank you, Will, for that. I thought that was awesome. I have, of course, no recollection of saying that, but that's because uh, we're about to, we've done 549 podcasts now, and uh, it's, I've said a lot of things over the years. <laughs> yeah, I have no recollection of that whatsoever. We have, we have, uh, we have a record. It's in the, it's in the official record. Yes, it is. And, and here we are jumped forward in time and Judith in a way is searching for her father. Uh, well, maybe not directly, but somebody's searching for her father. And I wouldn't be surprised if, uh, if she does a little 
father searching before this show is out, you know, for this season. So <laughs> maybe there you maybe. go. All right. Next, we have an email from Derek in Texas. Derek writes, am I the only one that thought the whole storyline in the hilltop was a little strange? So Aaron and his group walk in and find a whisperer. Naturally, they're suspicious and question him. He insists it's just insists it's just him and nobody else. Then Aaron finds out everything he said was a lie. If that's not incriminating enough, he attacks Aaron when his lie is discovered. At this point, I thought he was dead, but turns out Aaron wanted to make sure the whisperers weren't reforming, which makes sense. But then Carol is like, I think we should let these guys go because this is a really dark path you're going down. Making sure the whisperers don't reform and coming back to kill you and everyone in Alexandria is a really dark path. So then Aaron's like, okay, whatever, and releases this totally suspicious dude, this totally suspicious dude that probably is with a bigger group of whispers. At this point, I'm just yelling at Aaron for letting this guy live. Why wasn't Keith honest with Aaron and his group from the beginning? When Aaron throws him to the ground and asks him who he is and what he's doing here, just say there's a few of us been holed up here and we need food and water. And oh, by the way, here's some really useful information about one of your missing people. If Keith is a bad guy and Aaron was right to be suspicious, well, now Aaron just let him go. If Keith is actually a, uh, actually a good guy, why lie to Aaron in the first place? Why not be friendly and agreeable before you get tortured? I don't understand anybody's actions here. Well, Derek, when you put it that way, it sounds like this entire thing was just a setup for a little bit of maybe character work with Aaron, but mostly for drama and to get to the point at the end where Keith reveals that Connie is still alive. Some people are used to lying so much that uh, a lie is just like a comfortable warm coat that you put on. It's just the natural default uh, thing to do. It's just when you're talking to somebody, lie to them and keep lying to them until you can't lie to them anymore. Like for fun? Like why do people do that? I don't know. Okay. Why did Ben do that in Lost? <laughs> you know? That's true. The, I suppose. What's her name? The French lady. She said he will lie and he will lie for a long time. Right. And she was not wrong. No, I've been watching a lot of Lost lately and... uh Ben always seems to have an answer for things, but it's almost always some version of the truth or untruth, right? That's true. You're absolutely right. Uh, so I guess Keith is like that. He just, he just doesn't know how to tell the truth and he's just afraid to reveal anything maybe, right? So he, he, he holds back and, uh, and therefore ended up getting tortured. So if that's his, if that's just the way he is, that, that kind of explains it, I suppose. But I do think Derek makes a lot of good points in his email with like, yeah. if he's a good guy, be a good guy, tell the truth. Um, the other problem though, is that, uh, it does, as we've talked about before, when you're torturing someone, the torturer, it tends not to believe anything you say just to continue torturing you. Yeah. Right. I mean, and this, you have to consider the situation you're in too, right? It's like, okay, I'm in this situation where uh, there's a few people hold up and uh, I'm, ab I'm about to be tortured. Uh, you know, just give it up. It's just like, oh, yeah, there's a few of us. It's not really a big deal. We're just here because here is a place to be and out there is no place to be. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, please don't kill us. We're starving. Yeah. If any food, that'd be great. And, and actually, honestly, when you think about it, like if that, if Keith had just said that up front, 
maybe Aaron would have believed him. You know, all you have to do is go open the cellar like, oh, yeah, look, there are four people down here. He told the truth and they all look like they're hungry and starving. And so they need food. So I think I think Derek is right. I think it would have gone very differently if Keith had just told the truth instead of uh, making something up out of the gate. Right. But and some people just like to be dramatic. Well, yeah. You know, they just like to, you know, out, you know, why, why don't I say this and uh, then they'll find me out and uh, that'll be fun and, and uh, you know, it just increases the drama. Some people are drama queens. Right. Uh, I, however, am not a drama queen. And every time I get into a situation, including the one I was in last week, when I tell my mom about these situations, the first thing I say, and she said she appreciated this from previous talks about, uh, you know, re- relaying information like this. Yep. The first thing I say is, okay. Everything's okay. Everything's fine. I'm home now. I got hurt. I had to get staples, but I'm home. And right. then explain the entire situation. Instead of going, you know, I could have just started with, okay, so I was taking out the garbage and I took a header into the wall and, and just told it as, it as if it were a story. Uh, it's not a story. It's not a dramatic story. It's you're explaining to your mother that you were hurt in uh, fairly severely uh, you know, she doesn't want to necessarily have it drawn out and, and say, you know, did you die? No, I didn't die, obviously, because <laughs> no. I'm talking to you. But, you know, when the police come to your door uh, and they uh, want to tell you that a loved one has died, they don't start off with, okay, so this accident happened uh, and your, your husband was in, was in this accident. No. Uh, and the car flipped over and the ambulance had to come. It's like, Jesus age Christ. Did he die? <laughs> you know, you don't, you start off with the ending. You don't be a dramatic asshole just for the sake of being dramatic. Right. Okay. So maybe Keith could have done that too, is just say, you know, cut through all the crap and just say, there's a few of us here. Uh, we're all dying. If you just leave us alone, we'll probably die. <laughs> yes. No, I, Keith could have, I think things would have worked out better for him if, if he'd just been a little bit more upfront, but I know exactly what you're saying. I've been in exactly the same situation where there's something bad going on and I have to inform someone else about it. Yeah. You start at the end with, uh, we're all good, but here's what happened. Yes. So don't panic, you know, and, and let me explain kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, my mom panicked anyway, right? Well, she she just, is. Cause that's what she, that's what she does. Right. So she kind of went and, you know, panicked and had to calm down and stuff, even though she knows full well, everything's fine. Right. But still. I mean, moms, right? She's your mom. It's going to happen. She goes through it. Of course. All righty. Thank you, Derek, for that one. That was a long one. So good, good, excellent reading there, Mr. Miles. I am up next with Ryan in Indiana. Ryan writes, first off, I love this side of Aaron. His character has evolved so much from when we first met him. He constantly rides the line between moral and immoral, and I love characters that are like that. It gives me Rick-esque vibes, but on a smaller scale. So Ryan does have a second point, but I just wanted to read that first part uh, about Aaron, because I'm not sure I felt that as much with Aaron before this episode. I've always kind of looked at him as a real positive goody two-shoes type guy who is always looking on the bright side and, you know, looking for the positives and things. And here, all of a sudden, he's torturing a dude, right? And yeah. uh, I felt that was a little different for Aaron. But I guess that's okay. And it does uh, deepen his character or definitely show that he's more than just uh, Mr. Positive all the time. And that's that's cool. That's okay. That's good. Well, Aaron, and I agree that I think this this is out of character or at least a change or a... 
evolution of his character. Uh, he's always been kind of the moral center of things, you know, always do the, do the right thing on the right side of the situation because it's the right thing to do. Yeah. And now all of a sudden he's, uh, getting to the point where he has to cut somebody's hand off. Right. right? Yeah. He's got his own hand cut off. He knows what that's like and it can't be great. I mean, sure. He's got a cool, wicked bunch of, uh, contraptions that he can hook onto his arm, but, uh, Jesus, that's still a missing hand and it's a significant, uh, you know, change in, it's a life-changing event. And he did this life-changing event knowing full well what's at stake. Yeah, for sure. So I, I felt this was, uh, was outside of Aaron's character. But, but as you said, you can chalk it up to an evolution. And when you look at what's going on around him right now, you know, Alexandria has been destroyed. They're starving. There's a lot of problems. I mean, that's going to push somebody to the edge. That's going to, that's going to, that's going to maybe push them over their, their moral line a little bit. Right. And that's, I think what's happened here with Aaron. So the key is what does he do now? Like next time he's in a situation like this, or if things somehow get worse, is he going to react in a similar way, right? We're going to, we're going to have to see where his character goes for the rest of this season based on what happens. Yeah. And having said that, if I backstep a little bit, you know, I've always said that consistency is the (laughs) refuge of the weak minded. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Every situation deserves its own unique resolution. You, you are on circumstances. You are breaking out all your catchphrases this episode. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Anyways, Ryan uh, from Indiana goes on. He writes second, if Maggie and Negan hook up, I feel like we will have another massive drop in the viewership of the show. Again, similar to when Glenn was killed off. I don't think a lot of the fans would be able to get past it. Myself included. All the jokes about it online are funny and well and good, but if it becomes a real thing, it's going to be an issue. It just isn't logical that Maggie can look past the fact that her new boyfriend killed her husband and the father of her son right in front of her. Yeah. I mean, I know I'm not ready for Maggie and Negan to to make amends even, <laughs> not even let alone get together as a romantic couple. Uh but it never really occurred to me that this would be something on the level that would upset people enough for the viewership to change, which, which Negan killing Glenn absolutely did, right? That is the moment yeah. you can pinpoint when things started going downhill for this show in terms of, of viewership numbers. So I don't know. I don't know. Maggie and Negan getting together. Is it that level? Uh, I'm not sure it's not, but I'm not sure it is either. You know, I could, I could more readily believe that, uh, Negan and Carol get together than Negan and Maggie, you know, at least Negan and Carol getting together gives you a love triangle rather than just fucking bullshit. Uh, right. With the, with, uh, Ezekiel. Oh yeah. Okay. Fine. Right. So we (laughs) we got the, you know, it's not really a thing, but it's still a thing. Sure. And, uh, it could, it could bring that up. You know, if you want to go soap, soap opery, let's do this. Let's get Carol pregnant with, uh, with, from Negan. Because they got together and then Ezekiel has to deal with that shit. I guess. But I, for some reason, that's so weird that you say that. For some reason, I can see that happening too. Carol and Negan, I mean, over uh, Negan and Maggie. Well, yeah, absolutely. I, I'm just, you know, I was, I'm just casting lots, right? I'm just throwing out ideas. You know, it could be anybody. It could be uh, fucking Rosita, for crying <laughs> out loud. I could see Rosita and Negan getting together more than I could see Negan and, and Maggie. 
I, I guess. Yeah, I guess anybody, but there's something about Carol because Carol was the one that released him to send him on his alpha murdering mission, right? And he succeeded. Yep. Um, I don't know. I, there's something something about that that it just wouldn't, I mean, it would bother me, but it, it wouldn't surprise me or I wouldn't react as negatively as I would if it was Maggie. I, I don't know. It's really strange to actually be thinking about who Negan... <laughs> should get together with like it's it's actually kind of bizarre when when I think about it. Well, here's the other fucked up thing okay. is that uh, Negan had an affair with Alpha, and maybe that made uh, Carol jealous in some weird oh. way. Freaky. You know, it, human emotions are really fucked up. I mean, that could be uh, that could be a thing too. So I think there's more of a dramatic case here for <laughs> Negan and Carol. Oh my God, I don't know. Let's let's just let's just hope that. <sighs> Negan and nobody get together. <laughs> yeah. Or Negan or somebody does. new. You know, if Negan ends up in the Commonwealth or something and he runs into, I don't know, uh, anybody there. Anybody, yeah. Anybody. Could, new character, well, like, that's it. Governor, what's, what's uh, the governor at, uh, oh, at the Commonwealth's a woman, right? Milton. Pamela Milton. Negan and her. Yeah. We haven't even met her yet. And I, I could, I could get on behind, or I could get behind that relationship. I could get that, you know, I could actually see uh, Negan and uh, having a prior relationship with this woman. Maybe she was the woman that he was having an affair with on his on his wife. Oh my pre apocalypse. I think we know her name though, don't we? I, guess I don't it, know, but I, I don't care. Yeah, I'll just fuck continuity. <laughs> Let's just make that happen. Like, All right, Negan. You know, anything to keep him away from uh, from uh, Maggie. Uh, I'm I'm down with. Like I would, I would, I would let continuity go in order to uh, prevent that relationship from happening. I, I am behind you a hundred percent on that. Let's do it. <laughs> All right. All right. Moving on. Next, we have an email from Chris in the UK regarding Negan and Maggie. Shit. Regarding Negan and Maggie, I don't want them to get together either. But I do. But to be fair, the show has foreshadowed this way back in season seven. Rick told Negan that Maggie was dead. And Negan said that it was a shame because he thought he had a chance with her. Rick had the same reaction we all have, but Negan said something along, along the lines of, you'd be surprised how these, how these things work sometimes. Worth bearing in mind that Sherry was one of Negan's wives after he put the iron to Dwight's face. Negan is almost certainly wrong about the power relationship uh, whether and whether there was true consent, but if they go this way, we can't say they didn't set it up. Okay, so, I mean, I don't like this either, but the idea that, uh, uh, you know, Negan put the iron to Dwight's face and then was with Sherry anyways, I don't think there is any question that there was not proper consent there. So you can't yeah. really say that that was, uh, that was a valid relationship in any way. Um, I don't really remember, honestly, Negan sort of, in implying to Rick that he thought he had a chance with Maggie and stuff like that. But the, the line, you'd be surprised how these things work sometimes does kind of speak to what you were saying, Jason, about how humans and human emotions are complicated and ridiculous sometimes. And like anything can happen, but, uh, still, um, let's, I think it's the kind of thing Negan would say just to fuck with Rick. That right? too, yeah. It's like Maggie's dead. It's like, oh shit, I 
thought I had a pretty good shot with her. It's just, you know, he's just messing with them. I don't think it was a real kind of thing, but you know, who knows what, uh, writers will latch onto for a storyline, right? Well, yeah, exactly. That's, uh, you, you never know what they might, what they might go back to. So end of the day, uh, no thank you to Maggie and Negan. Yeah. Next up, we have a call from Kate. Hi, Chris. Hi, Jason. This is Kate from San Francisco calling about the episode Out of the Ashes. I was really surprised when you guys said about the sexual tension between Negan and Maggie. I completely didn't see it. I just thought they were really mad at each other per usual. And you could be right, but like you said, I hope not. But I can't go back and look at that episode to get a second opinion for myself because I just really didn't like the episode, the whole thing with Aaron and torturing. And when I saw the whispers, I, I just, I almost turned it off because no one wanted to see the whispers again, did they? And the thing is though, as others have said, I've come this far. I'm not going to quit the show yet. There's lots of other stuff that I probably shouldn't have quit things in my life. And I, wish I hadn't. So I might as well stick with something that I should quit, but won't (laughs) anyway. Um, but yeah, I guess the whole whisper thing was to confirm that there was a Connie sighting, but I wish they would have done that some other way. Cause boy, oh boy. Anyway, um, thanks for the podcast. Take care y'all. Bye. Cool. Thanks, Kate. So she didn't feel the sexual tension, which is great. Maybe we're just overblowing all this and it's not really even there. I am totally okay with that. Uh, but in terms of quitting, Kate, don't, don't quit. You've come this far. Stick with us. Stick with the show. And if, if there's anything about it you don't like, we're here for you. Yeah, we, uh, we are a big proponents of the sunk, fa- uh, sunk cost fallacy and we're, uh, we're all in. Like we've come too far. Uh, you know, we've sunk a lot of time and effort into this show uh, and you probably shouldn't continue to do things that are not good for you, even though you've spent a lot of time and money or effort on something. But uh, think of us as a support group. Right. Just, you know, we'll stick around. We'll watch the, we'll watch the shows. We'll, uh, we'll talk about it. Uh, and if we don't like something, we'll say we don't like it. And uh, we can support each other in our dislikes and likes. There's probably some gems in the, out there still. I agree. There's going to be, you know, this, it's going to be great. As I was saying a few weeks ago, I fully expect the final season of The Walking Dead to be awesome. And uh, there has been some awesome so far. There's just been some not as awesome, but that's the way it goes with any show, right? So that's true. Stick with us, Kate. We will all get through this together, through the good and the bad. Yes. All right. Next, we have an email from Cheryl in Guelph. I'm having a hard time buying the Commonwealth. I could buy a community. uh, I could buy that a community could develop over many years to be much safer and have more amenities than a place like Alexandria which I guess is just just had the worst luck in the world, getting attacked by the wolves, the saviors, and the whispers. But enough spare resources to print high-quality posters, brand-new clothing, cupcakes, orientation videos. When you start to think about the agricultural space you would need to support a community like that and how hard it would be to safeguard, safeguard all of that land, and where are they getting all the raw materials they need? 
And what the fuck is an an ice cream truck? It's just too much. It is just too much. So uh, Tallahassee's twin brother wrote an email kind of on a similar topic. I'll read that right now before we talk about this. But he says, 50,000 people is a large community, roughly the same population as 16th century London. This is probably an apt comparison because post-zombie apocalypse USA is a medieval feudal society, as was Tudor England. Okay, they have radios, automatic weapons, and electricity, but they cannot manufacture anything significant. And apparently medieval London stank and was disease-ridden from overcrowding and poor sanitation. So how is the Commonwealth so fucking clean and everyone so healthy? It would need 100,000 liters of fresh water per day just to keep the population hydrated. Uh, He finishes with, I'm worried about the balance here. If the Commonwealth plus our heroes are good and the Reapers plus Maggie are bad, that's not really a compelling conflict from a story perspective. Perhaps we are looking at a reversal whereby the squeaky clean Commonwealth is revealed as the big bad, while the skills of the Reapers beef up our force of heroes after Pope is defeated, which kind of redresses the conflict balance. So the first part of Tallahassee's uh, message there relates to Cheryl's in that the Commonwealth seems like it's just too big to actually be sustainable in this world, right? 100,000 liters of water, clothing, poster printing, cupcakes, orientation videos, all that kind of stuff. Like, how are they getting all this done? Well, medieval London and Tudor England didn't have the uh, the advantage of the infrastructure that we have today. Mm-hmm. So having the same number of people in a, in a situation where they have, you know, 100,000 liters of just, uh, you know, hydration, uh, that's input to people. There's also the outputs, right, which all need to be dealt with. So there's infrastructure in cities and towns that can help alleviate some of the issues that uh, medieval London uh, did not have, uh, did not, was not able to take advantage of. Right. Like just dumping the feces into the river and <laughs> like, well, you know, na- let nature take its course. And then all of a sudden your whole fucking town stinks for <laughs> A decade. Yeah, right? you have a you have a town, you have a river full of fifty thousand people's crap. I mean, that's that's not going to go well. It's when you're it's not going to go well, especially yeah. when you're so, drinking that water and bathing in it too. You know. So maybe you know we have the advantage of some infrastructure that we can take advantage of, or they have advantage of infrastructure they can take advantage of, as well as potential potential civil engineers, which uh, you know London didn't have at the time either. Really? I mean, sure, they went, well, we really got to deal with this crap. And then they kind of figured out, it's like, man, we got to fucking build some sewers. Mm-hmm. All right, fine. Let's build some sewers. We'll do it for the next 70 years. Yeah. Well, that's right. I mean, we have, as you said, the advantage of some existing infrastructure, existing knowledge too, right, is, is sort of what yeah. you were saying, like how to how to use the infrastructure that we have in place. They're not inventing anything new just to survive. I still think it's a good point, though, like 50,000 people in the- It's a lot. It's a lot. lot. Yeah. And the fact that they know that sanitation is important- Right. Is a big step forward. Yeah. And so if they need 100,000 liters of fresh water a day, you, you, you sidle up to a river, you're good to go. Right? Like there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of water in a river or a lake. Uh, you know, when you're, when you're looking at uh, a freshwater lake, a hundred thousand liters a day is not that much. 
I guess not. And and you're right. You know that you you shouldn't shit in it, right? Which maybe they yeah. didn't really realize back in uh, Tudor England or or early 16th century century London. Yeah, without it being treated first, right? Right. Which I don't know. If, I don't know if they have the capacity to treat sewage before releasing it, but or whether they would care or they just say fucking dump that shit down river yeah. after we take out what we drink. So you, uh, it's uh, it's drink, bathe, wash poop, right? It's just, that's, uh, you do the, do the drinking upstream, right? Then the bathing and the washing and then the pooping, right? right? And then after that, it's like, who gives a shit? Somebody else has to deal with <laughs> the it. next town so, down the river. That's their problem. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's a, that's a them problem. Not yeah. a us problem. Right. So, I mean, it's doable, but still it's a lot. It's a lot to take in. They, you know, the fact that they have, uh, the capacity for, uh, posters, high quality posters, mm-hmm. uh, recording orientation videos, uh, you know, cupcakes, ice cream trucks. Mm-hmm. It's, a little, it's a little much, or maybe it's all propaganda, right? Maybe they're spending so much time and effort on the amenities that uh, maybe they are having problems with water, but they're not willing to tell the population about it. Right. Right. And we just don't know that yet. You know, maybe we'll find out. What about- And ta- that's assuming that they're making the ice cream out of cow's milk. I mean, they could be making it out of rat milk. Who knows? <laughs> that's right. Who knows? Rat milk <laughs> ice cream. Yummy. Rat- well, it's just, is that, would that be terribly bad? Would it taste different? I have no idea. I've never had rat milk. No, neither have I. But if I have the opportunity to try it, I probably there's won't. goat's milk. <laughs> I'm sure there's pig milk. You think so? You no. Know? Well, I mean, cows are, uh, pigs are mammals, right? They give birth to live yes. piglets. Yes, they do. I'm sure, yeah, they have nipples, right? So they've got milk. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. That's weird, though, because, you know, we drink cow's milk, but why don't we drink pig's milk? I mean, it's an animal that we use for food anyway, same as a cow. Mm-hmm. This is weird. It's a good question. I, I, don't, that. I don't know. Check on the internet later. What about Tallahassee's second point about the balance here? And, and, and you know, the Reapers really being the bad guys right now, but maybe that'll be reversed and the Commonwealth will become the bad guys. But that being the case, I just don't see how the Commonwealth can be the quote-unquote bad guys for this season the same way that Woodbury and the governor were the bad guys and Negan and the saviors were the bad guys. Those are groups that, you know, sure, maybe were bigger than our groups at the time, but they weren't bigger by 50,000 people with full like armed, well, military and security and stuff like that. Like there's no way there can be some sort of battle between what's left of our group and the Commonwealth. So this just isn't going to play out in the same way, whether if they're considered the quote unquote bad guys, right? Yeah. So the governor didn't have people with styrofoam armor. He did not. At least here we have people with styrofoam armor. Exactly. And that goes a long way, right? (laughs) If you have, if you've got 10,000 people with styrofoam armor, it's still 10,000 people. So. Might as well be wearing those, uh. Those sumo wrestler suits that they have at, uh, at carnivals <laughs> and stuff where you go in and you get all dressed up in a sumo wrestler suit and have a good old time. And then like bounce I mean, off each other? Bounce off each other. I mean, it's the same, it's the same thing, right? Same amount of protection from, uh, uh, 
you know, guns and knives and zombies. It's the same thing. You just dress them up as sumo wrestlers. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I have read the comic, so I kind of have some idea of where this goes with regards to the Commonwealth. Um, but I'm not going to talk about that here cause it would probably be spoilers. Uh, but, but I do think, you know, Tallahassee's point is well-made and that like this fine, they can be the, uh, they can be the bad guys and maybe our team will learn something from the Reapers. But even then, I don't think that would factor in if there was an actual, uh, physical altercation between team Maggie, I guess it is at this point and, team uh, commonwealth so something different is going to have to play out here and we'll have to see how the rest of the season goes okay so i guess i just assumed the commonwealth was the bad guy yeah but like so far they're they're picky about who they let in but they haven't really come across as bad you know they're just big and careful in what they do and who knows but I don't think they've been presented as like a threat so far other than maybe, well, we don't want you in here, so we're not going to let you in, but that's not that threatening. Yeah. I guess I just don't trust government or, uh, you know, an unchecked government. Yeah. Fair enough. I mean, that's that, but that's a different kind of threat than what the governor would have posed and what Negan posed. And so how it works is going to be very different. Yeah, it sure will. All right, next we have Gabby in Texas. When Yumiko was being questioned before entering the Commonwealth, didn't she reveal to the people questioning her that her brother was a surgeon? If so, why did they not investigate this? Uh, wouldn't they have confronted him and be like, hey, why didn't you tell us you're you weren't just a baker when you could have been saving people? Do the Commonwealthers just not communicate amongst themselves or did they just need a baker more than they needed a surgeon? All right, so I went back to check this, and Yumiko did indeed say in that scene where she was really lawyering them and, you know, yeah. giving them the third degree, she says, I have reason to believe my brother, a thoracic surgeon, is living at the Commonwealth and is looking for me. Oh, geez. So she did say it. So she has revealed to them that he is a surgeon. So in some ways, she's already messed things up for yep, him. She's already fucked it up for him. That Damn being it. that being said, she didn't say his name. And so maybe with 50,000 people, the Commonwealth people just can't put two and two together and they don't actually know who her brother is, right? Who who he is and so they can't confront him about it. Um So they 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 didn't see them talking together or having a conversation about uh being brother and sister and why didn't you tell them you were a surgeon? Well, that's the other thing. Like if the other group, if the other three people in our group are being surveilled and followed, like, isn't she, you know, and, and she seems to have such valuable skills for this community. Um, you would think that, yeah, they know now who her brother is and that he's a surgeon and not a bake shop guy. So you're right. It does seem like it has, it should have been revealed at this point, and maybe it has. Maybe we just haven't seen that on the show yet, right? But it does feel like maybe Yumiko has messed it up for him already without even trying, right? I wouldn't even call this her fault. It just, it is what it is. Well, yes. I mean, if we're, if the fact that uh, maybe they do need bakers more than they need surgeons because, yeah. uh, think of it this way. If they're eating people uh, and they're grinding people up for food or, you know, flour, 
let's say, uh-huh. uh, maybe they do need a, they don't need a surgeon. Maybe anytime anybody gets injured, it's like, oh, they died because we don't have a surgeon, but we got cupcakes, so you should be happy. Cupcakes so, make everybody happy. <laughs> so maybe they do need a baker more than they need a surgeon. And uh, who the hell knows what he's baking the shit out of, right? Maybe he <laughs> is using his surgical skills in order to acquire the ingredients for his uh, baking goods. Right. It's a fine line between surgeon and cupcake maker, <laughs> the way I see it. There was a very fine line between uh, barber and surgeon. I mean, at one point they had the sharpest knives, so they ended up being the surgeons That's for, uh, for quite a while. And, you know, when they needed to transport people to the, uh, to the barbers, uh, they used hearses as the first ambulances because they were the only vehicles big enough for a person to lie down in. <laughs> Great. <laughs> <laughs> the only other thought I had about this is that maybe those two people, the two Commonwealth assessment people, uh, whose names I can't remember right now, maybe they were just so embarrassed by how, how uh, Yumiko kind of owned them. Yeah, how hard they got lawyered. How hard they got lawyered. They were so embarrassed that they didn't want to draw any attention to it. And so they never said anything. They didn't like report on, on what she said there. You know, maybe that's what it is too. So they never revealed to the higher ups at the Commonwealth that Yumiko said, oh, he's a surgeon. So they just, they just don't know yet. Maybe it's the same thing that happened in the first Hangover movie when they stole the cop car. Uh, the two police officers didn't report it because they were so embarrassed that uh, some bunch of jabronis stole their cop car. <laughs> right. So that's a thing that can happen. It, it, yeah, it totally could happen. So that's that was the only other thing I was thinking. But I think uh, Gabby, you're onto something here, and it does kind of seem like uh, Tommy's cat is out of the bag a little bit. Mm-hmm. All right. Next is Paul in England, and Paul writes. I'm curious, are we still supposed to be cutting The Walking Dead some slack for filming under pandemic restrictions? I sure hope so, because if this is our once great zombie show firing on all cylinders, then I'm afraid that this season has been a huge disappointment so far. To echo a sentiment that you have already expressed, why give us the extra episodes if this is what we're going to do with them? Don't get me wrong, Angela Kang has given us enough greatness that I have faith that something will come along to pick this final season up out of the doldrums, but I haven't seen any signs of that happening yet. P.S. I haven't watched this week's episode yet, so if it's totes amazeballs, then feel free to disregard the previous message. Uh, and, you know, I, I would say that, uh, Paul, we have had some good moments so far. Mm-hmm. There has been a lack of a serious lack of totes amazeballs so far, but you never know. Maybe we're going to get some of that uh, coming up soon. We've had parts amazeballs, but not totes amazeballs. Not totes. No, that's true. (laughs) And the other thing, Paul, we've only seen just over 20% of season 11 so far. So there's lots of time to bring on the amazeballs. Yeah. And it's like one of uh, my first... uh... (sighs) Discrete mathematics teacher, he once said that... uh... Uh, he will only give a perfect score in a test if everything is perfect. So something to be totes amazeballs, it has to be absolutely perfect. Okay. So basically what he was saying is uh, if it's not perfect, then it's not perfect. Fair enough. Right? And, and So yeah. it makes sense. We're not perfect so far, but we've got lots of time and it's it's going to happen, I think. And, you know, totes amazeballs, that's pretty high bar to get over. And uh, let's yeah. hope we do. I mean, he, 
He'd give you lots of leeway on 90%, 99%, right? There's, sure. a, there's a range of what he would forgive for 99%, but for giving 100% or totes amazeballs, uh, which I wish he would have used back in uh, 1992, <laughs> whatever, if I may, if I may <laughs> age myself, uh, if, uh, if he had used the phrase in order to get, in order for it to be totes amazeballs, it has to be totes amazeballs. It sure does. I would I would have given him props. <laughs> uh, the the max props. <laughs> I would give him I would give him max props. All right, for sure. It would have been sick. <laughs> yes, it would have. All right, just before you go on to the final email here, Jason, um, Paul has been a regular writer to us for a long time. He's written in many many emails over the years, and in his last message, he included a link at the bottom of his email. Uh, he claims by accident, but. <laughs> it was a link to some, uh, his portfolio of comic art. He's a comic artist. I didn't know that, but I cool. clicked on the link to check it out. And I asked him if I could mention it cause I thought his stuff was really, really great. So, um, he asked if I could share the link behance.net that's B as in Bob E H A N C E.net slash sketchy magpie. That's what he goes by, I guess, but he's got nice. some really cool comic art and I just wanted to call it out. So, um, you know, if, since this show is based on a comic, there could be some comic readers in the uh, listening audience. So if you want to go check out Paul's work, go to behance.net slash sketchy magpie. Hope I'm saying that right. Behance, behance. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's an internet link. What are there, you gonna do? there you go. Uh, maybe if you just search for sketchy magpie, his stuff will come up, but it's very, very cool. So, um, I wanted to Give Paul a shout out there. So there you go. Awesome. Thank All you. right. All right. Finally, our final email is from Jay in Oregon. Hey, awesome podcasters. I've listened to all your dead podcasts for both my first watch and second. Just an observation on some of the rendition feedback. Lots of lamenting uh, another psycho bad guy. Lots of lamenting another psycho bad guy, but that's just part of the show. You wouldn't want Dr. Sam Beckett to stop leaping through time or for Three's Company not to have any misunderstandings. Just enjoy all of its walking deadness. We'll miss it when it's gone. Okay, fine, Jay, if you say so. I will enjoy it in all of its walking dead goodness. And you're absolutely right. What would think? What would Three's Company be without any misunderstandings? What would yeah. the walking dead be without a psycho bad guy? That that's true. I mean, I wouldn't yell at Mister Furley for getting uh, having a misunderstanding about Jack's sexual orientation, right? I I might yell at yell at him for judging it, but I won't yell at him for misunderstanding what the situation is. Sure, because that's part of Three's Company, right? That's what makes Three's Company Three's Company: the misunderstandings, the comedic misunderstandings, and maybe what makes The Walking Dead The Walking Dead is the psycho bad guys. So we're always going to have one. They're always yep. going to be there and we just have to enjoy it. And I don't think that puts the show above critique because we're going to do that no matter what. But uh, don't get us wrong, Jay. I still, you know, get a great deal of enjoyment out of it. Absolutely. Yeah. All righty. Thank you so much. As we said off the top, there is going to be an after hours segment on this podcast. So stay tuned for that. But keep in mind, we are going to not only talk about Jason's recent troubles, but also um, something about this last episode of The Walking Dead that is a little bit spoilery. So we'll do the we'll do that first, probably. 
I guess. I don't know. We'll figure it out (laughs) and then uh, move on. But if you're not, if you don't want to hear spoilers uh, or potential spoilers for The Walking Dead, they're not serious. There's some public information out there that, you know, we've come across um, that we need to talk about. But, um, you know, spoilers are a big deal for a lot of people. So don't listen to the the after hours if you if you don't want to hear that. Otherwise, though, thank you so much for tuning in, and uh, it seems like we'll be back really soon with our next episode of the podcast, because the next episode of The Walking Dead airs on AMC tomorrow as we record this. It is called On the Inside, so please send in some title reads for that if you uh, have time, and it's directed by Greg Nicotero as was this last episode that we're just talking about here. So I noticed that the directors seem to be coming in pairs this season. Episodes one and two were by Kevin Dowling. Three and four were by Frederick E.O. Yote. And uh, five and six were by Nicotero. So I wouldn't be surprised if seven and eight are the same person as well. I just don't know who that is yet, but Hmm. why not? Pairs. All right, everyone. Thanks so much for tuning in. If you want to get in contact with us, visit TalkingDeadPodcast.com and click on send voicemail at the top to record a message and send it in. You can find us on Twitter at TalkingDead, where I have been a little more active and responding to people and tweeting all the episodes. So that's exciting for me. And of course, you can send your email to TalkingDeadPodcast at gmail.com. All right. For those of you sticking around, we'll see you in a minute. But uh, for the rest of you, thank you so much for tuning in. Until next time, my name is Chris. My name is Jason. Thanks for listening. Ciao. Ah, hello. I'm sorry I didn't see you there. Please, come in. Chris and Jason have just popped off to change into something a little more comfortable. You know what those boys are like. Please sit down, help yourself to a drink, and welcome to the Talking Dead After Hours. All right, welcome to the After Hours, the Talking Dead After Hours, a segment we, I don't know, haven't done in a while, but we save for special topics, or in this case, a special topic and a little bit of a spoiler discussion. Yeah. It's mainly for asides, right? It's a good one, by the way. Right. And you don't have to listen if you don't want to. That's right. One more thing uh, sort of deal here, right? Yeah. Uh, So do we want to do the spoiler for the show first, or do we want to do the head injury first? Uh, Let's do the head injury first. All right. Then we'll save the spoilers for the very, very end. That way people can hear the head injury stuff. (laughs) Yeah. So as you may have, uh, I'm just going to jump right in. So as you may have heard me talking... Uh, about informing my mom, I took a giant fucking header into a stone wall in my driveway on uh, Thursday morning uh-huh. and uh, basically split my scalp open in a very large gash. Gross. Uh, so yeah, I was taking out the garbage, you know, and it was raining and I was wearing deck shoes, which are normally pretty good for slippery things, but I stepped off the st- uh, one of the steps and uh, twisted my ankle because I have shit fucky, fucking weak, stupid crappy ankles that uh, get hurt every now and again. And then I tried to change my footing in order to compensate for not falling down. But then, uh, you know, quite frankly, I'm not quite used to the changes in center of gravity in my body in the last decade or so. So uh, 
uh, my agility has uh, is not what it used to be, and I just basically just took a giant friggin' Superman head first right into the goddamn wall. And as soon as I hit the wall, I uh, you know when you get hit in the head, I've been hit in the head a few times in my life. Uh, some have caused stitches related injuries. Uh, this one was particularly bad. I heard a ripping sound oh. and I heard a big clunk Ow. and I rolled onto my back and held my, my head and, uh, a few thoughts went through my, through my head right, uh, immediately after that. Uh, one, the first thing was, I was pretty sure I didn't hear a cracking sound, so I didn't, I knew I didn't rupture my fucking skull. I just heard the ripping sound. So I knew, I, I knew immediately I would need medical attention that, uh, you know, we're going to have to call an ambulance and I'm going to have to go to the hospital. And my next thought, which only occurred about a quarter of a second later was, God damn it, this is going to be my whole day. Right. <laughs> and that was the biggest problem I had was that yep. this is, this is going to end up being my whole goddamn day and I'm not going to get to do anything. I haven't even had a cough yet. At least I got the garbage out. I was, you know, I took the garbage part out. I was taking the recycling part out. I didn't get that part out. Uh, <laughs> So I told Jenny to call an ambulance and, uh, the ambulance came and I was sitting on the stairs and I felt my body going into shock and I've been injured enough to know what that feels like and knew what to expect. I'm like, all my blood vessels are, uh, contracting and I started to feel dizzy and a bit faint. I'm like, okay, I'm going into shock. Not a big deal. It'll pass in a minute. So I sat back, let it, let my body go through the shock. And then I came out of it, uh, a few seconds later, uh, didn't lose consciousness or anything, nor did I lose consciousness when I hit my head on the wall and I'm bleeding down the side of my head. And I knew that head injuries are, they tend to bleed a lot. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So basically while I was waiting for the ambulance, I'm thinking about, uh, you know, what, uh, I have to go to the hospital. I know I have to go to the hospital. So I start give, telling Jenny things like, okay, I'm going to need my phone, uh, find my, my wallet, which is right there. Uh, and I started collecting all the things that I'm going to need for the day, uh, sitting at the hospital by myself. I didn't want to be there without a phone. I didn't want to be there without my wallet, obviously. Uh, so I started asking her to do all that kind of stuff. Um, and she was talking to the dispatcher, the 911 dispatcher. Um, and then, then the two, uh, EMS people came and they, you know, basically went, holy shit, that's big, but it's not bleeding that much. They were surprised at how little it bled. Hmm. So... They wrapped me up in a bandage and took me to the hospital. Uh, and I've learned, unfortunately, I'm not sure whether it's fortunate or unfortunate, but throughout my life, I've learned over a few occasions uh, that where I've been in situations where things are happening fast and could get out of control real quick and or could be bad. And I've learned that I am perfectly capable of thinking under those circumstances without any issues whatsoever. Uh, for example, when my son got, uh, he was injured, but he needed stitches in his forehead one time. Uh, when this particular injury, another injury that I've had, um, and when the cops broke into my house, do you remember that? I do. That's a good story uh, too. When, when I was swatted, the cops uh, broke down my door and I had uh, six police officers pointing their firearms at me. Yep. Uh, immediately the first thing I noticed was that they had good trigger discipline. All their fingers were beside the triggers. They <laughs> yep. weren't on the triggers. And at that point I knew everything was going to be fine. Right. Okay. Right? They were in control. I didn't have anything that was going to cause them an issue to put their fingers on the trigger. And I just complied with everything. So this was the same kind of situation. It's like, yes, I'm injured. Yes, I'm bleeding. Yes, I'm going to have to go to the hospital. Uh, but everything's fine. 
everything's under control. And then they had me walk out to the ambulance and she said, you're going to step into the ambulance and then have a seat on the gurney there. Uh, but watch your head, it's, uh, you know, the doorway's low. And I said, yeah, I wouldn't want to bump it. No. <laughs> so I got in, everything was fine. They went through the whole raft of questions when I went to the hospital as well. So the EMS went through the raft of questions, like, do you know where you are, who you are, what the date is, uh, you know, questions like that to make sure that I was still lucid mm-hmm. and everything was fine. So long story short, uh, about a six inch gash, L-shaped gash in the side of my head above my right ear, uh, 24 staples. Wow. And they fucking felt like staples going in. They were way worse than whacking my head. And oh, they, God. they went through the freezing and, uh, medication I've found doesn't work as well on me as it does on other people. I tend to have to double up on painkillers and stuff to even have a chance at having them take effect. Okay. Uh, but generally I don't take painkillers. So he was freezing and yet, you know, local anesthetics, they hurt like a bitch, right? Right. Uh, when they go in, uh, and then everything goes numb. But so he did all that, poked it like fucking 400 times. He had to go get a second vial of, uh, the anesthetic, the local <laughs> oh anesthetic. Oh my God. He ran out of the first vial. So he got the second one and he was starting to put in the staples. And when they stitch you up, like I've had injuries where I've had stitches before, but when they stitch you up. Uh, it feels like you feel the pressure of the stitches and stuff like this, but getting staples, it fucking feels like you're getting stapled. Like there's a, a staple gun and it's not even a pneumatic staple gun. Like I have a better, I feel like I have a better staple gun in my garage that would just go, <laughs> this thing was like a manual one where you had to press down. Oh and my then, God. So you're feeling this pressure on your head and I'm pretty sure the staples didn't just staple the skin together. Like. It felt like they were going into the skull. They might have been. Right? I don't know. Were uh, well, they stapling I, my head to the skull? I'm look. I'm going to assume that these doctors knew exactly what they were doing. I've thankfully, you know, knock on wood, never had that experience, so uh, I don't know what it's supposed to feel like. But I'm sure they did it right. Well, yeah. I'm do you have sure. to go back and get them removed? At some I do. Point? He gave me a staple remover, and he said, "Go to uh, either your." You're a family doctor or a walk-in clinic and uh, get them removed. Oh, and he wow. said there's about 24, which makes me a little nervous because <laughs> I'm going to go into wherever I am. I'm going to say, here's a staple remover. There's my head. He said there's about 24. You know, try and find them all. <laughs> try not to miss one. Right. Because the, the entire injury is within my hairline. Okay. Like it's not, uh, so there's, there's nothing that's sticking out from a hairline anywhere. So I'm not worried about scarring or anything. It'd be a knotted fucking mess. I don't give a shit. But uh, I just want them to get all the staples. Right. Right? I don't want them to miss any of them. No, because someday then you'll be going through an airport scanner and, you know, it'll beep and you won't know why and they'll strip search you and eventually maybe they'll find a staple in your head, but that's it. Yeah. I'm not sure that that amount of metal will set off a metal detector, but that'll be my first thought was, I had some staples in my head. Maybe they're still there. Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. Check it. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Uh... Yeah, so I felt all those staples going in. It was a, uh, yeah, it was bad. Uh, but they did order a CT scan just to be sure. And uh, they, they just wheeled me right over there. Like I didn't have to walk or wait in another waiting room or nothing. I just, they said, okay, we're going to go get, get a CT. I'm like, okay, now I have to go wait. And I, is there a place where I can get changed? Because they had me take my shirt off and put on a fucking gown. Yep. Uh, but no, she just said, no, just wheeled me right over there. And oh, that's great. Uh, then she parked me outside for, I thought was going to be like an hour because you know how things are in Canada. You wait for everything. 
But it was like 14 seconds later, they wheeled me in, had the CT scan, which is way better than an MRI. Oh, yeah. A lot quicker. Uh, you know, they just basically take a picture. Right. The fancy picture. Uh, and then she wheeled me back and that was it. And they, they cleaned up the wound, uh, you know, put on some polysporin, put a bandage on and the doctor came in and said, CT's clear. No, no skull fracture or cracks, no intracranial bleeding, no nothing. No sign of concussion, no, uh, loss of consciousness, no reason to keep you. See you later. Get out. That's all great news, right? They were looking for all these things that could have been far worse. And the fact that you don't even have a minor concussion or or a detectable concussion, concussion, right, is, is, is great. I felt kind of groggy on Thursday. You know, I, I, I had a couple of naps and yesterday I, you know, felt sleepy, Mm -hmm. but according to the information sheet they gave, that's normal. Sure. Right. For a head injury is, uh, sure. just, you might feel sleepy for a day, but I feel fine now. I don't have, uh, I have very little detectable pain, uh, unless I make <laughs> exaggerated facial expressions and then I just feel the staples pulling on the skin. Sure. I've got this weird fluid under my eye. I, my whole side of my face is bruised, right? Cause I didn't just, uh, it's not just the one point of impact. Like I scraped along the wall. I've got a huge scrape on my arm. Oh wow. And a scrape on my leg from where I hit the ground, but, uh, nothing worth taking, you know, uh, no. nothing needing medical attention anyway, but you know, I'm a little bit sore, but other I than bet. that, I'm fine. Well, that's quite the story, man. I am glad you're okay. And, uh, you're going to be fine. Moved, I think they moved my face a little bit. Like when they put the, put the, <laughs> the, the thing back together, I think, I think my face has moved slightly because it all felt a little bit weird. Like it just, it's, maybe it's just cause my side of my head is uh, swollen and stuff, but it could be, I think, I think maybe it's not quite where it was before. That's okay. <laughs> they kind of, they stretched it a little bit, got rid of a few wrinkles while they were there. Maybe, you know? maybe, I don't know. <laughs> oh man. That's, uh, that's funny. But the whole but thing I, didn't sound very funny when you were telling me about it on Thursday. No, it, uh, it's not all that funny, but, uh, you know, and it, it's traumatic when I hit, uh, when I was going down. And I hit the, uh, I hit the fucking rock on the wall. Uh, you know, it was just like, ah, shit, now I got to deal with this fucking crap. And I was pretty sure I didn't fracture my skull and I would have been surprised if I did, but still it was, uh, uh, it was fairly traumatic and then blood all over the place. I'm not very off, you know, very squeamish about blood. Uh, but then I think my my son was traumatized by the whole thing because he didn't want to see me as soon as, uh, like he knew that there was blood and stuff and he he didn't want to see me. And then he's kind of freaked out with the bandage when I came back, like been bandaged up for a couple of days. He didn't want to necessarily hang out with me a whole lot, but now I'm not wearing a bandage anymore. Uh, and he's a little bit better by tomorrow. I'll have forgotten about it. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. I mean, that's understandable too. Like it's, it's scary for him. Right. But yeah, absolutely. He'll, he'll move on quick. Kids, kids bounce back. <laughs> yeah. Well, he still remembers getting hit in the head and we having to go to the, uh, the same ER. Right. Uh, and, uh, for him to get, he got, his head was glued back together. He didn't even get stitches. They just friggin' lined it up and stuck some cyanoacolyte glue, basically crazy glued his head together. Uh-huh. It's a, you know, it's a little better than crazy glue, but it's the same kind of shit. Yep. Uh, they glued his head back together and said, uh, yeah, keep it clean. See ya. Keep it clean. Good. <laughs> well, well, I tell you, if you're going to go to the, uh, if you're going to go to the ER, go in an ambulance. Cause there, uh, you don't have to wait in that triage waiting room. You don't have to sit, uh, for registration. 
Like they bring you in, a nurse looks at you and asks you some questions. They bring you in, into an exam room and then the, uh, the intake person comes to you, asks you questions and you're done. You're, you're in the hospital. This Be is, entreated. I tell you. Yeah. Yeah. If you're going to go to the hospital, go in an ambulance. That's my recommendation. <laughs> if you got to go to the hospital, <laughs> do it in an ambulance. All right. Yeah. Well, man, that is a that is a crazy story. It is why the podcast was delayed. I think everyone will completely understand. And uh, you know, I did, with your permission, tweet out that picture you sent me of yourself with the bandage on and and everything like that. And uh, I know you're not on Twitter, and you're not even sure if it's a thing anymore. But uh, lots of people responded. Lots of people sent messages oh, of support, and uh, you know, hoping that you were okay and stuff like that. So. Um, I'm sure, uh, I'm sure they'll be delighted to hear that everything is going to be fine. Yeah. I sent that picture to my mom and she said, I, I wouldn't have even recognized you. I said, well, it is a new shirt. Right. Of course. <laughs> You've never seen the shirt before. <laughs> I am a new shirt wearing. That's right. All righty. Well, uh, glad you're okay. And, uh, try to be more careful taking out the garbage. Okay. Oh, that's what my son says. So he basically said that you're not allowed to go outside until you get grippier shoes. Okay. Well, he has a point. He, it's a very good point. Uh, and so, yeah, he's, uh, I haven't really left the house since I got home. So he's a little bit worried about me going outside. I took the garbage out mm -hmm. this morning, which was just stepping out and putting it in the garage. Uh -huh. He's like, you be careful out there. Yep. Like, yeah. Being very careful. Yep. Well, being careful in life is important. <laughs> you know, it is. You don't want to have, have another injury like this or anything worse. So. I was, uh, I was real close to getting, I didn't know how long the ambulance was going to be when I was standing there holding my head together. So I, I came real close to asking Jenny to get the trauma kit. So not only have I put together a first aid kit, but I actually have a, um, I put together a trauma kit. Do you know what a trauma kit is as opposed to a first aid kit? Not really. A trauma kit has, uh, better bandages and, uh, are, is meant to deal with, uh, wounds that are more significant than, uh, scrapes and cuts and things, something that can't be dealt with, with just a bandaid. Sure. So yeah. there's, there's a tourniquet in there, uh, which you have to use very sparingly. Uh, there's, um, what's it called? Quick clot, which is this, uh, powder that you break it open and you put it into a wound and it'll clot the wound. Ooh, gosh. So that if it's uh, if it's an arterial bleed, it'll, it'll clot it right up. And there's, uh, there's also... Uh, dressings in there for significant wounds, like gunshot wounds. Not that we'll ever have to deal with a gunshot wound, but like, well, let's hope you, you pack you pack it in a wound kind of thing. You pour in some quick clot. You pack in this friggin' thing, and so I was pretty close. I'm like, do I get Jenny to get the trauma kit, or is the ambulance going to be here in about forty seconds? Because we live just down the street from the ambulance bay. Mm -hmm. Like if uh, like it's 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 closer than the Home Depot kind of thing. It's, it's super close. <laughs> okay. Uh, so it only took them about five minutes. So I neglected to, or I decided that we didn't need the trauma. Did they show up with sirens on or quiet? Uh, I heard the sirens. So they had sirens, uh, until they got there. Yeah. Uh, no sirens going to the hospital though. No, no. Okay. No, I don't even know if they had the lights on. Probably not. I mean that yeah. they, they've assessed you at that point and realized that, uh, you know, he's going to be fine. We just need to get him there and it's yeah. not a true emergency. So, all right. Well, yeah. there you go. Now I just have to, I don't even know why I have to, I don't want to get the staples out. That's the, now I have to go and deal with that shit. Well, I'm, deal with that. I am curious to hear about what that's going to be like as well. So you'll have to tell me at least. How long are they yeah. in? When do you go? 
Seven to ten days. So well, that's not too bad. A, a week from today or a week from tomorrow kind of thing. Sure. Okay. So. Well, as I said, glad you're okay. Lots of people on Twitter feel the same way. And uh, here we are. Yep. Took a shower, washed my head and everything today. So oh, I good. I that after a couple of days so that uh, I'm, and I still feeling very gingerly trying to figure out where all the staples are. Cause sure. Because I, I don't really know. Like they start here right at, right near the hairline. Goes up back and ends about, oh, nope, about there. So it's a big L shaped six inch gash. It's so just massive. Rip the fucking head open. Well, when you told me six inches, I'm like, what? Did you carve the top of your head right off? Like, that feels like it would go all the way around, but. Well, good God. the way I think of it is if uh, put, uh, uh, put a bunch of paper towels on the ground and then push one of the paper towels in the middle, it's just, it's, it's, it's going to rip yeah. at one point, right? So. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't that I got sliced. It just, it just, I hit the thing and it Ooh, just ripped open. So gross. <laughs> it wasn't a nice clean cut. No, right. Eeh. All right. Nasty. Well, should we, uh, should we do our quick spoiler thing here and then call it a night? Sure. All right. So let's get back to some Walking Dead real quick. I'm going to play a call from Jason and then read an email from Eileen. So here comes <laughs> call from Jason. Yo, Chris and Jason, what up? It's Jason from Los Angeles again. Well, last time, my theory was totally and completely wrong about Isaiah. But I got another theory for you, what I think's going on. Jason, I totally agree with you that Stephanie is setting things up. And, you know, she set all that up for them to get caught. Here's what I think. I think that's not even the real Stephanie. I think that's a plant. I think the Commonwealth all along you know, smells the BS and doesn't believe their stories and set him up in order to get more info. Because as soon as they made contact with Alexandria and it was confirmed that he was from another community and yada, 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 I think, I think, uh, you know, that's when they came busting in. So I think it's not even Stephanie. I think they put somebody else there. And my guess is the girl with the ice cream cones is the real Stephanie. Just my two cents. We'll see what happens. I was wrong last time, but hopefully I'm right this time. All right. Thanks, Jason. And then Eileen, as I said, in Connecticut writes, I'm listening to number 548 out of the ashes right now. And y'all are talking about Eugene asking that woman about Rocky Road ice cream being a little strange. I agree. I was looking around online and I ended up reading an article about the Commonwealth setting Eugene up with a fake Stephanie in order to figure out what their angle is. The woman getting the ice cream was the real Stephanie. Yeah. So wanted to talk about this because a few podcasts ago, I made the mistake of mentioning this. Maybe a lot of listeners kind of missed it and uh, or I don't know, chose to ignore it. But I did mention that uh, on the air that the Stephanie that walks in to greet Eugene originally is not the actress that has been cast as Stephanie on the show. The one that has been cast as Stephanie is the one with the ice cream that we saw in this episode. So she didn't say anything, the theory is, to Eugene because he would recognize her voice and then know that there was something going on. So I made a mistake of mentioning that a few episodes ago. At least one listener called me out on it as a spoiler, and I completely agree that was my bad. Um, But it doesn't seem like too many people were affected by it. And lots of listeners... Uh, you know, when this scene happened and we talked about it, kind of didn't seem to remember me doing that. So hopefully I didn't ruin anybody's day a few weeks ago. 
However, here we are, and we've got uh, fake Stephanie and real Stephanie. The show is doing something here. What I will say and what I kind of like about it is that I'm not 100% sure it's just as simple as that. Maybe the show, the story is setting up something a little bit more interesting or exciting here with the quote-unquote fake Stephanie and the real Stephanie because of things that have played out now with her leading them to the radio room and then apparently getting arrested herself and being charged. And maybe it's just a little bit more complex is what I'm saying than, oh, there's fake Stephanie and there's real Stephanie. So that's what I'm hoping because it does feel like that's all it is for now. It it could be, uh, you know, I, I agree that I, I didn't realize that the, the woman getting ice cream was the real Stephanie, but I knew, I remember you saying that the, uh, they cast somebody as Stephanie in yep. quotes. Yep. Uh, so I knew that was going to happen. Uh, but setting up, uh, Eugene and them, I like guess the only thing I really don't understand is if they were setting up Eugene, why in the hell would they let him make a real transmission to Alexandria? and let them know that he was fine and everything was good. Yeah. Why wouldn't they uh, fake it or turn off the power or make it so that it wasn't actually transmitting uh, and just get him in the room and wanting to transmit? That's enough, right? Uh, Right, but maybe that was the plan. Like maybe Princess delaying Mercer there by flirting with him actually actually let it happen right right maybe their their goal was to get in there before he actually transmitted anything and it didn't quite go to plan you know why why show us princess running interference like that so well actually to be honest so maybe maybe that's what i mean like maybe this is more complex now than it was supposed to be in story and uh they didn't want him to actually make that transmission they just wanted to catch him about to i don't know Maybe they didn't know what the plan was. They were just going to let Eugene run with whatever he wanted to do. Yeah. And then they would catch him afterwards on it. Uh, and they didn't know that the uh, the plan was to do, uh, was to make a transmission. So they were kind of scrambling to get everything, uh, you know, put in place so that they could catch him afterwards. And they didn't know that that was actually the thing, the mechanism of uh, his betrayal. So right. Maybe maybe that's the situation, but I don't know. Well, I'll I think all I'm trying to say is like it, hopefully it's a little more complex here what's going on than just well you were talking to Stephanie and here's fake Stephanie uh just to get you to reveal yourselves or reveal more about yourselves something like that. You know, yeah. hopefully more complex. But anyways, to get back to the original point, indeed the Real Stephanie appears to be the woman with the ice cream. That is the actress whose name is escaping me right now, but who was doing the voice on the radio for with Eugene in last season and who, in theory, has been cast as, quote, real Stephanie. So, um, right. yeah, we'll have to see how it goes. But that is that. Wanted to do this in the after hours because, again, it is spoilery. If you've been watching and haven't, you know, figured out that there's anything going on or, or you know, that there's a Stephanie discrepancy here then uh definitely could be a spoiler for when it's actually revealed so discrepancy <laughs> we have a discrepancy <laughs> we have a discrepancy <laughs> all right that's amazing that's uh, what we're going to call it from now from now on 
Uh, all right. That is it, everyone. Once again, thanks for listening. And we'll be back real soon on Monday night when we talk about the next episode of The Walking Dead, which is called On the Inside. And I broke my rule. And I watched it already because... Oh, you did? Yeah, because this podcast was delayed. I needed to get to work on that that episode. So uh, I watched it this morning. Okay, good man. Yeah. All right. We'll see you soon, everyone. Thanks for listening. Bye.